Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be speaking with Sharon McGinn. Sharon comes with a lot of experience as he's been the uh, first salesperson and the head of sales for many early stage companies. And now he's actually a CEO and founder of his own uh, startup. We're going to be speaking today about how to create compensation plans for your sales team, how to lower the chances of making hiring mistakes, and how he went from selling to SMBs and having a monthly churn of around 12% to selling to enterprises with yearly packages. It's a great story and there's a lot to learn, so really take a listen to today's episode. While we're here, I wanted to take this time to talk to you about startup sales. And startup sales, we work with different uh, B2B tech companies on building uh, and fixing their sales processes. Whether that's getting your first clients to fine-tuning your current uh, sales processes to make them more efficient and training your team to operate these processes more efficiently, uh, we could definitely help you. Uh, so if you have any questions or want to understand a little bit more, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to me by email at adam at startupsales.io. That's adam at startupsales.io. Or you could go to our website, startupsales.io. We have a great episode today with Sharon and really think that you're going to enjoy hearing about his journey, what he's learned and the mistakes he's made uh, and learning from them. So please enjoy. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs and sales VPs from the high tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. All right, Sharon, thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> After uh, <laughs> much technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah. So... Why don't you tell uh, tell the people listening who you are and a little bit about your background? Okay, uh, my name is Sharon again. I my background is um, I started like twenty years ago. I actually started as a developer. Uh, I worked in a few startups in Israel and then Australia, and then when I came back, I um, after my MBA, I, I um, moved to a company called ICQ uh, post the acquisition days as a product manager initially, and then I moved to the business side, did a few things over there in marketing, sales, more like a B2B type of business. Um, and then w after that, I joined a company called Clicktail, the very early stage, uh, five or six people, and then took over the entire customer-facing operation side. So sales, account manager, uh, management, professional services, um, and then kind of grew, grew with the company, like 120 people. Um, and at the end of that you know, four or five years, I was head of, I basically took over only the sales part. There were three groups in sales, uh, SDRs, sales and account management. And after the four or five years where I got uh, very tired, I, uh, <laughs> I, took, I took a year and a half offers and I was consulting a bit. And then I joined a company called Epoxy um both by the way clickers in analytics epoxy and is in marketing automation for mobile uh, over there i joined as the chief revenue officer and we were lucky enough i was lucky enough that we sold the company 10 months later to tear that applications 
uh, after two years there, I took another time, took another some time to, you know, rethink my career. And then we started this uh, company called Datawit. Um, so I'm one of the founders and the uh, CEO. And uh, this is where we are now. Oh, that's terrific. So you really come from like uh, the technical side and you've moved mm -hmm. into sales and, and then into a founder. So you know, like all, all ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it's basically moving in from, from development across to product that sits in between and then to sales and, and sales and marketing and kind of, uh, other than legal, I did pretty much the whole, uh, a lot of the <laughs> positions in a company. Yeah. Yeah. But as sales, you're doing legal a lot of the time too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Commercial. Yeah. 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 All right. So. I want to kind of go off of, I've got a sheet here full of questions, but uh, that brought up a good question mm -hmm. as a technical person. And then as a, and as a founder and as sales, what's the best way to get everybody on board uh, to, to communicate together, to work together? Um, it depends on the, I mean, this, this question is the, the answer is different when you're looking at different sizes of companies. So when you're five, six people, 10 people, you don't really need any extra thought about getting the people together because either they're there because they want to be and they, they work hard and everybody's, all the information flows in the halls and all the, you know, everybody knows each other's goals and it's, it's very simple. Uh, once you grow and you become a bigger company, we implement a lot of processes that are kind of artificial ways to make these, this thing happens. And one of them is called OKRs objective key results and so each department gets in the beginning you start with the company's goals and the three objectives and then that kind of derives the different departments and the method kind of uh the objective is that if each department makes their goals um and their objectives basically it comes to the same goal um that's another like process wise it works great and you work on it etc but the, the actual you know, real thing about it is that you have to communicate. Each person has to communicate their, you know, their needs and their, and to see where you're not aligned and then you have to fix those issues. Yeah. Um, there's a, a lot there's of a sharing. Book of I just, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a good book I just read about uh, OKRs and how mm -hmm. to implement them in businesses and stuff like that. I can't remember the name now. So when we, we really clicked it, when we started this, we had, um, we had a guy that was one of the first people in Zynga. And they did it throughout their time. It's a huge growth. He was there when there were 10 people, 11, and then throughout their growth. So he've, he was very on top of you know, how to do it and have to be very precise. It was a, so it has a lot of overhead, but uh, I think it's worth actually going through this exercise to some extent. Yeah, very much. Yeah. All right. So how often would you, I mean, you said the information flows in, the, in between the halls in the early stage. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's definitely... True, but do you have any set time where you where you get everybody together and you discuss? Okay, here's here's what the people I'm talking to about the product are saying. Here's what we need to change. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. Even now, when we're you know, less than ten people here, we have uh, weeklies that you know. Even when you don't have a lot to talk about, we still sit and then each person talks about their own stuff um so we do have a weekly we have these thursdays that we always sit all the company and we talk about company stuff basically among other stuff uh so we do set up a time for that even though it's like it's 
you know, in a bigger company, you get a lot of information in these meetings. Here, it's mostly you already heard, but it's good to, these things are good to make decisions and to share all the information. And you do get some new stuff, or especially from clients from my side, leads that are lost, what are clients saying, et cetera. Um, yep. Okay. Let's take a, take a step back and, and talk about uh, your time at Clicktail and what you learned there. You said that there was five to six people there. Were any of those salespeople? No, there were the, when I came, the guy came in, it was a company that sold. We already had some revenue, very little. We sold it automatically online. So we even got people requesting for a demo. We said, there's no demos, there's videos, and it's online. It was $9.29 and 99 in the beginning. We changed it a lot of times. So no salespeople. I actually didn't come as head of sales. I came as VP Biz Development at the time. The direction was... SMB deals with e-commerce platforms, things of that nature. And then it very quickly moved. We saw that the efforts are, we have to focus more on sales and started thinking about bringing in more people, et cetera. It took for me to bring my first salesperson. It took about, I think, six months or something like that before we started thinking about you know, having somebody dedicated. Uh, so it took six months before you decided, okay, we need to hire a, a salesperson. Yeah, it started as like, uh, I don't remember exactly, but it started as like, let's get an account management. We already had a few, like, I think more than a thousand SMB clients with very high churn. And so we, so we thought, let's get an account manager, see if we can lower the churn and start selling also. And then after that, we brought another SMB manager to manage that salesperson and a few SMB people. And then we had, at some point, we decided to shift into uh, selling to enterprise. Then we started building an enterprise uh, sales team and the whole, you know, account management, professional services, all that stuff came slowly with, you know, while more salespeople came in. So more, um, you know, enterprise customers came in. Wow. Uh, let's, let's hold off on going to that enterprise level because I think that's, that's an interesting why, how you decided to switch and how you started to make that switch. But yeah. early, early days, you said you had about 1,000 clients pain clients yeah wow how how did you said it's all no touch sales so were a lot of inbound or you just had an amazing product i think it's the second one it wasn't just an amazing product it was the first of its kind it was just at a time where javascript was becoming strong enough to you know with enough capabilities on a browser to to record movements of mouse movements and clicks and nobody thought about initially before clicked it to actually show a video of a customer there were heat maps around a few other things but this was pretty revolutionary and the ability to do usability testing with that with a very low cost for customers had a huge value for them to see actually mm-hmm. you know very even the larger sites and at that point we we're pretty much alone or a few few low end competitors and so it started basically like a closed beta um, this is before I came in. There were like uh, already a few hundreds, I think, that registered, and a lot of people started re- writing about. It. So we had a lot of free publicity, and we did a lot of guerrilla marketing in the beginning to get to these thousands. A lot of um, stuff that we did were, was free, basically, and it worked because also because of the product. But things that we did on the marketing side, for example, we started accumulating a list of bloggers that wrote in that field. So everything there was a Google alert on all the names of the competitors. And every time somebody wrote something, we had somebody from India writing his name and finding his email. 
And then we accumulated something like a list of 300 bloggers over the course of a few months. And then every time we came up with a article, like an objective article based on our data or on data, we sent to all of them, some of them published it. So this, this is one way of getting more people to know us. But I think at the end of the day, it's a lot about the fact that people were just talking about us because it was just, um, it, it's, you know, it's not a strategy for a startup to say, oh, it's going to become viral, but it actually came, became very big without a lot of marketing effort. And Ken, but it, it wasn't a lot of marketing effort, but there was still that effort to go find those 300 bloggers and, yeah. and take action. Yeah, this it, it doesn't become thing. viral on its own. No, the, there were a few other things we did. We had a, somebody that was actually looking and posting comments and we had, uh, we did go to conferences uh, after a while. We had a few, um, we did a few things that we tried, but at the end of the day, I think that a lot of it came from the product. Um, and actually, yeah, the, once you have more money, you can invest. Of course, you grow, you know, you grow because of the, because of the marketing money that you spend. But initially, yeah, it was a little gorilla and, and it worked pretty well. Nice. All right. So you've got, you're onboarding all these new clients from No Touch. Did you, at any point, did you ever reach out to them and, and talk to them before you started to grow your team? Uh, yeah, we had a few customers that for product feedback that we, we talked to. There was, the company looked like we had a support team. So when I came in, I actually became the support person for the first eight to nine months. So that was like a, the second person I hired actually replaced me on that. So as a support person, I got a lot of the feedback from the clients, not just on technical issues, but also on um, you know the stuff that feature requests and all that. We had a forum that the CTO managed, but it was um, you know a lot of people were actually answering themselves. But the whole business was set up for self-service already when I came in into the forum and the the all the marketing material. And so we had to build a wiki uh there so so we did get so we were in touch with clients but uh, but you know on our like when we we decided that we needed feedback we usually it usually came from our side and support stuff and feature requests you know you get them all the time yeah um yeah. so when did you decide to scale this up uh to start selling scaling this up like when did you hire your first salesperson so like in the beginning, the, in the beginning, we started, uh, we said, let's have an experiment. So we have, we had somewhere around 12% churn or even more. So meaning a monthly churn, meaning that, you know, you lose in the, the year, you lose your entire customer base, basically. Uh, but a lot of people signed in, a lot of people left and came back, etc. So we said, let's just try to see how we fight churn. There's a lot of product ways to fight it, but at the end of the day, a person you know, calling somebody and seeing why they're not using the product is better. So we said, we'll bring somebody who could do both to sell. And that, that took, I think we were in, we were somewhere around $30,000 a monthly recurring revenue. When we, we started thinking, you know, if we bring a person in, it's going to be worth the money that they are bringing. So the, the whole calculation was already, you know, we, we needed to, to stay profitable by the way. In that time, it was 2008. Nobody was actually nobody was investing. We only had two hundred thousand dollars left in the in the you know in the bank, and we were you know burning about 70, 80k, and we were making like thirty. So we were and growing very quickly. So we we need to get to that eighty, or even to get yeah. to sixty, where you're not burning a lot. 
So that per, I think it was something like 30 to 40. Then we thought about bringing a, a first salesperson. And actually, she wasn't a real salesperson in the background. We took a gamble. We saw that actually works. When I say works, I mean that she's able to, she was able to actually sell usually longer contracts, usually higher price. We calculated the margin of her deals versus what we pay her, et cetera. It was somewhere around between, I think, somewhere around 8 to 12%, the entire cost. Salesperson, so it works. We have a, we had a massive amount of leads, so we said okay we said, let's let's uh, try to scale the business. I didn't have time to scale that part, so we said okay the next person now is a is a manager, is going to sell and hire the team, and yeah. you know build a team, and this is what happened actually. Great. So the, you took a gamble on the on the woman that the first uh, the first woman. Yeah. Why not hire somebody with experience? First of all, it's, not, it's a good question. We sh probably should have, by the way. And there's always a thing about, you know, more risk on paying the person, but we probably should have looked for somebody who's willing to take a risk and more equity and hired the, the, you know, the second person we hired instead of the second person was the right person for managing the team. He could have done the, uh, but it was more, a lot of it was opportunistic. You know, we looked for somebody, she came, we liked her. We, you know, she, didn't, she wasn't expensive and we could afford it. And we said, okay, let's do the test with that. And then if it's okay, we'll, you know, we'll expect better results once we bring somebody experienced. Yeah. Uh, but the experienced people, you know, they're expensive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know it was a long time ago. Uh, so I don't know if you could actually remember, but what were some of the traits that she had that made you feel like, okay, I'm, I could be confident in, in hiring her? I remember actually exactly because she had zero experience. She she we gave her an exercise on understanding stuff in Google Analytics. Uh, I don't remember what presentation we asked her to present something, and she did a really good job with. You know, if you're taking under account that I didn't have any experience in analytics before, we said okay, she can pick up stuff very quickly, and uh, and this is what happened. She was really and she was afterwards when they had a team. She was always the the best on the team. So we did, we had a very good gamble. Good. So yeah. uh, make sure, make sure to hire somebody that is a quick learner. Yeah. <laughs> really important. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. All right. And then you hired afterwards a guy to manage the team. What were you mm -hmm. looking for in, in there, in that person? So the, I'll tell you what, we all, we always had a conflict specifically myself. I always thought, I always thought about, okay, if I get a manager, that wants to manage is not going to sell. I needed salespeople. On the other hand, if I get a salesperson that never managed before, I, I'm taking huge risk on the, on the uh, you know the management part, and I didn't evaluate correctly. I made a few mistakes along the way there when I should have taken a manager and I took a salesperson. So what we looked for, we looked for somebody what we call the strong director or somebody who's really excelled in sales and wants to show an interest or manage before or show an interest in management. And I thought, okay, it's small enough for me to helping out, help him in the management part. And we found somebody really kind of one of the best salespeople or account management back then in life person. And he was, you know, interested in the, you know, the shift to moving to, to management. But he knew that he's going to have to sell for a long time until he builds a you know, big enough team. It was actually quicker than we thought, but, but this was exactly the, the rationale. So initially I wanted somebody that could 
sell well. Yeah. Uh, even if it, you know, cost my time to manage the whole thing. Uh, but that was the, that was the rationale. Somebody to, uh, to walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So even somebody who's a good manager, but says, okay, I'm you know, willing to go back to selling and I like it. And uh, you need to have somebody who's hands on. And because we were also building the value proposition as we were growing the company, you have to get somebody who's, you know, needs to be, if you're just managing, you never sold before. You're not going to know how to train your people. Okay. Uh, and the product was changing all the time. So it needs, you needed to be hands-on. Okay. Now you said uh, that you made some mistakes along the way in, in hiring for, for the manager or earlier stage. What were some of those mistakes? Yeah, this is where I, I'm, I need to be careful not to name any names. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I, I made, well, I, I made a lot, a lot, a lot of mistakes and I usually compensated for the in volume of work um, and in luck, basically some of the mistakes just, um, uh, so f- first types of mistakes were, was on hiring, just hiring the wrong salespeople. Um, I still don't know how to do that well enough. So it's like uh, my hit rate was around 50% throughout the time. And then the person also replaced me was around 50%. He likes to say, I know how how long do you, how long do you wait before you realize, okay, 50%. So that's the second mistake and the types of mistakes I had in the beginning. (laughs) So in the beginning, the first salesperson I needed to hire took me seven months and I should have probably known in the interview. Um, Later on, I already had a process around figure not not so long afterwards i had i started having a process of it was it was exactly like this the person is hired he has three weeks to learn the value proposition and to be able to do a proper demonstration qualification and demonstration basically so the first two steps of the sale i'm not talking about even closing deals that that i figure out later then on the first and then after three months i need to see that he could he could uh, generate a good enough pipeline we don't have to go into details of what is a good enough pipeline, but I had my metrics of what is a good pipeline. And then usually if they go back the, the, and then afterwards there's another three months afterwards, I look at the close, at the closing and the conversion is because usually some, some salespeople are very, very good in generating pipeline and then they can't close for some reason. Um, so that's was like the three touch points. And then I got to a point where, um, so mo- most people that went after the three weeks, they continued later on. So the, usually I, I was good at figuring out the, the first month if they're, if they're here to stay or not. But I ended up firing people after two days, after three weeks, of course, after. It's not easy, but it's best for, for, you know, for both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a trick I find off. Yeah, I don't know how to hire yet well, but I do know. I, do, I mean, the recommendation part is that they're really important. My salespeople is, is hard. They're, they're really, if they're good enough to sell, <laughs> they might be good enough to be in an interview and to fool you. But at the end of the day, when you talk with numbers and recommendations and stuff, you're, but I still, even at the end, it was 50%. It's also the, right. how they fill in the team and it's, it's not just uh, the interview. So what are some tricks that you've learned along the way or, or things that you look out for along the way to try to lower that 50% ratio? For me, it's very simple at the end. I need to try to categorize the salesperson. Let's let's just talk about, let's say it's, a, it's an SMB salesperson with experience. So first of all, I want to know in each of his jobs, it's, it's like a competition. Let's say there's five salespeople, where is he ranked? 
Was he the top performer always? Was it, this is the most important. If he's the top performer in all of them, I just need to figure out why not. So just to see if they, if he's nasty, if he's not a good person, he's not. Um, I really honesty, and this is super important for salespeople for me. It's like um, if he's not honest, then there's. So this is the the all the recommendation that I get usually from the recommendation from people who recommend. Um, so that's one thing, and then. That was the, I start with that in sales. The other things, there's, there was, what we did is, I still have the same list, by the way, compiled the list of qualities that I'm looking for. And then there's two other columns. One is what the candidate says about it. So qualities mean that you're a hard worker. Did you, are you um, technical enough to understand the product? Can you, uh, if you're, a, like I said, if you're a good hearted person or if you're um, honest, which is very important. Da, da, da. And then there's what the candidate said. And when the and what the you know the uh, the people recommend says, um, and I always try to get examples for each of the things. This is okay. I'm a hard worker. Great. Everybody says so. Okay, show me an example of ta ta ta. And it's usually with the people recommend where you actually get, have to get the examples because they sometimes they really they want to help the person. You really have to make sure that they you know, give you the right pictures. A lot of times people actually didn't feel comfortable saying something bad and they gave me a good recommendation. And then I actually, some of them I even came back to because it's just such a yeah. small place. Israel. So why did you recommend that person? And they said, oh, I didn't know. Da, da, da. Uh, yeah. So you have to be careful, yeah. Okay, uh, and how long is this list of qualifications? I can look at it now. It's something like seven, six or seven things that you, that I look for. And we also did like a post- firing uh analysis of where you know where where did we miss yeah what what didn't we figure out anyway, it's 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 still not a it's still a, a hard thing to do because sometimes you really want a person and what's driving you is the fact that as soon as you get a person you start looking at cvs every night and you, you're not looking at it right you're looking at your own time and you're not looking at what's good for the company so <laughs> if you really process oriented is really good at the time and be patient have you read uh, Mark uh, Mark Roberger's book? No, which one? Uh, uh, I think it's a sales acceleration formula. No. Uh, it's a great book, and he talks about he talks about that, and he's very systematic about how he hired. He has a, a grading chart uh, for each candidate, and they do the same thing before uh, the hire and after they fire them, or if they leave. Like yeah. to evaluate where were they right, were they wrong, so that they were always fine tuning it and being able to get the exact right qualities for that role. Yeah, it's one of the things in startups that I, I, I don't like hiring in general, building the team because it's it's just so much luck involved. That um, you know, it's just a person that, you know, is looking and is. Is he actually wants to be in a small company where the salaries are a bit lower? You really have to find the right people. And sometimes it's just, you know, you have no competitive advantage over anybody else because they don't really know you. And so it's, it's a lot of luck to get the really, really good people. So if you want to build a company that's going to be successful, I think it's a must to have to at least a, you know, try to have the first 10 people categorized as in your eyes as stars or superstars, especially the yeah. product and development side, right? But, um, once you get the sales, of course, the first sales piece person, if you make a mistake there, it, it can kill the company. It's yeah. you know, you very quickly give them a lot of independence and give you a bad name. Yeah. And lose very deals. And ta, ta, ta. Yeah. 
All right. So you were talking earlier about how you decided to take the company to enterprise. Yeah, it wasn't my decision, by the way. I was against it, to be honest. Okay. Why? <laughs> I'll tell you, what, I remember exactly what happened. And this was the, this was the founder of the company, the CEO. He was, uh, we were selling these. We already got to a point where we sold a plan for 1000 bucks a month. And uh, um, we were looking at, again, it was always about fighting churn. And we, we got to a point where we, the Excels told us that with its current churn, we're going to reach our glass ceiling with the amount. So, I mean, the amount of new deals that we bring in, on the, the churn is going to kill them very quickly. And we're going to go, it's going to be very hard to go above with these price points to go above a certain revenue uh, number. Um, Either we lower the churn or raise the prices, and then we figured out that it's it's going to be hard, at least with SMBs. And then the, the and then the founder came back from a conference and said, "You know what? I just saw some consultants selling a service for twenty five thousand dollars a year for for an engagement of analysis of a website. We can do better than that with our product. This is what I want to do. I want to sell for twenty five thousand dollars a year. It's for <laughs> me, at that point, for me, when we were selling, like usually the plans were hundred dollars a month not even a year and i was looking from a hundred dollars a month to twenty five thousand it it seemed for me like but what am i selling is the same thing that they uh they sell for smes why would they buy this and that we had a long argument at the time with the board and everything and at the end he said listen this is what you know this is what we're doing and you should stop believing in it and then we'll see if it happens and say okay you know i made a switch and it's okay we'll go with you i'll I'll go and try selling it for twenty five thousand dollars and we made some minor adjustments on the website to make it look more customized, et cetera, with the service, et cetera. And then, um, and then we had a few other things to do along the way to make it like the uh, talk about it. But basically the, we just went out and tried getting intros and selling. And we, we were lucky to get very nice first few customers. Um, like booking.com was our first customer, customer that they from travel, they paid $25,000. I was sure. This is fucking. This is what they they spend in an hour, you know, in a minute or something on Google or something like that. Yeah. At that point, okay, so we they, but they allowed us to use the logo and everything is worth it. And then IMDb was another customer, and then a few other ones that that um, that helped us. And then at that point, after the four customers, I said, okay, we need to bring somebody that's done this before a few times to start building the enterprise business. Uh, but the decision was just after a conference, you know. We, we think we can sell it and uh, let's, let's try to make it. Yeah, it's so important to not get stuck in your way of thinking. Um, I mean, this yeah. is kind of, because if you think, okay, we sell $200, $200. Why, why would you try to sell it for 25000 <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, I, at the time, I didn't know the shift that it's actually going to take the company to, but it, it was also, you know, it's a decision to move from SME to enterprise because I think it's very hard on that type of business to do both for a long time. It wasn't a seat-based solution that you can, okay, if you're one person, you get X. It was something that you either there or there at the end of the day. You can try to be both. We tried a few years, but at the end of the day, we had to you know, kill one of the businesses. So and, did you take SMB pricing off the page? Did you stop selling SMB? Oh, we continued for a long time. Uh, to sell SMB. By the way, one of the main things that I couldn't argue with, I forget to say, about moving to enterprise is that the founder said, listen, if a company is going to acquire us at some point, if you look at the 
history of acquisitions, it's usually they also expect you to have the same type of customers that they do. Uh, so there'll okay. be a synergy. And then if you're if, if you servicing the same companies, that there's a bigger chance. If the SME, it's very hard to sell an SMB, uh, um, you know, selling to SMB companies. Just, so this was a, also a big thing. Um, so what was that question that you just said? Sorry. Did you, did you keep selling to us? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, first of all, it was, when we started selling to enterprise, it was the ratio of SMB to enterprise was 100 to zero, right? It was just the beginning of enterprise business. So we had to continue for a while slowly. So we continued selling. We tried to differentiate between the two plans, uh, feature-wise. Uh, just tried to make it, and it was always a, a struggle to make it uh, attractive enough to enterprise people, to enterprise companies, and not, you know, not, bad enough for them to, for the SMBs to say, oh, we want these features. Yeah. It's not easy. You have to keep, you have to find things that are, they don't affect SMBs, but do affect enterprise, uh, like service, for example. But it's not easy to charge, you know, 20 times or 30 times more just for a few things. So it was a very difficult thing to do. That's one thing that was strong. And the other thing that was even harder, the whole thing between the fights between the two departments, you get a mid-sized deal. So the enterprise, the SMB business also started great, you know, growing prices and starting closing yearly deals, et cetera. So let's say they were closing a deal of 30K a year. That was considered SMB already after a while. And the enterprise started at 60 or at 100. And then there comes a deal in the between. Who gets it? All that negotiation around when to qualify, to move it there. No, it should have been mine, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wasn't, it was a difficult thing. And <laughs> at some point, you know, it's actually after I left, the year that I was a consultant, they decided to completely close it, the SMB part. But it was already 80% enterprise revenue and 20% SMB at that point. Yeah. yeah. Terrific. So when you, when you start to build your, SM, your enterprise team, what mm -hmm. were you looking for in the salesperson? And, and how did you start to build the commission structure and the bonus plan. Okay, so, so first question, how do we start looking for a salesperson? <laughs> um, of course, the regular way is HR, friends or friends, et cetera. We, we looked for somebody, we defined it as somebody that could do it better than me. So somebody with experience in selling to enterprise. So I had experience in more business development deals rather than straight sales. Um, you know, now I know exactly what I should have looked for, but I found really, luckily, I found the perfect person for it in the beginning, somebody that came from England. We looked for somebody with native, a native English, strong sales experience. This guy came from Oracle. So this is, they have a very good school for, you know, sales school for in, internally in the company. Um, and it, I think it was somewhere around, we also looked for somebody that had, um, you know, large enough quota, somebody that, is used to selling, um, closing deals that are larger than 100K at least. So this yeah. was something we looked for. It's funny that I got, an, I got the CV. I got it from somebody who worked in the company and it said account management. The guy from, was from England and I just, I deleted the, <laughs> the thing. Oh, I need a salesperson. And, I yeah. <laughs> and he told me, I can't, he said, what about it? Is he relevant? I said, no, he's an account manager. I need sales. He said, no, no, it's, this is in England. It's sales. This is what you need. Trust me, invite him in. <laughs> so he came in with a, uh, I think a three-part suit or something. It was way, way overdressed. Wow. 
we wore the flip-flops and the shorts and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we worked it out so at least and the commit the commission part was um we got by the way we got some consulting along the way for building the plan building the, the legal building the value proposition with enterprise and also with the commission um the way we build the commission is um we do it from the top down basically you're well actually a little bit of both you're first of all you're deciding on how much do you want to pay the person competitively on an on an otr like an on target earnings ot sorry on target earnings basis so let's say we want to make we want the the salesperson should make 40,000 uh, shekels uh, a month. Okay, 360, let's say 100K uh, a year. Let's say this is our, our OTE uh, number. And, you, and then you say, okay, we're, we need the margin of the, the cost. We always looked at how much it will cost us compared to what we're spending. And we looked around and the numbers said something like, you need to pay a salesperson. The total cost of sell, a salesperson, um, it's different between different businesses, of course. Somewhere between, it could be 5% on very high, large deals to all the way to even more than 30% on SMB salespeople. We look somewhere between, I think it was somewhere around between 8 and 10% of the total cost. And then, you need, and then you need to figure out, okay, so you know you need to pay him Somewhere, let's say he makes 100K and you need that to be 10% of the total of the money that he brings in. So his quarter should be a million dollars a year, let's say. Yeah. And then we need to think, okay, this, is, this pro, is this possible to do or not? And if it is, and we had like back and forth with him, the problem with it, the guy came in, he didn't know anything about the business. So he kind of trusted us that we know what we're saying. But we, we also told him it's going to be flexible. We're going to reevaluate it in three months. We yeah. don't know really because this is the first salesperson. And once you do that, you have your OT, you need to figure out, so what are you going to do if he's under and what are you going to do if he's over? If it's a, you want to keep the same ratio, it's a straight linear line, he doesn't, he basically gets, but you don't want to make it like that. You want it to be exponential if he makes more and you want him to be less penalized if he, if he makes less. That's another thing, you have to figure out the curve that you want to do and you do it in an Excel. But, you know. And the last thing is basically the commission to salary to base ratio so in an aggressive early stage startup when you really care about your cost you want to make it you know 30 base 70 commission you hardly <laughs> see that right this was this is by the way what happened with this guy at the end it was you he, he, he made way more than we thought and he made excellent salary in the first year but he he really he smashed his target but so we're looking at 50 50 is also still aggressive most companies here the small to the medium size to larger ones it's somewhere around 30 base or 40 base 60 commission somewhere around 35 65 somewhere mm -hmm. and then it's all in so once you do that then you can figure out the percentage from each sale and and the kickers and all that perfect i like that uh you know so many of the big companies want to cap commissions uh and things like that and it, it always shocked me like why would why would you do such a thing if a salesperson is going to bring in more money for the company it's less cost to you like yeah. let them bring it in <laughs> yeah. yeah when you make i mean if you if you're looking at the general answer for thinking about the commission you have to think of the total cost of sale so the setup the account management afterwards all that and see that that makes sense of so the margins but this so we started with that but the salesperson you need to know it's somewhere around you know an enterprise somewhere between six to 
of the total cost, maybe a little bit, a little bit more sometimes. Yeah. Great. So I wanted to jump forward now to your current role as as a founder, uh, mm-hmm. building up your own company and everything. How has the transition been to move from like the more of the sales leadership and sales roles into now being a founder? Um, okay, there's the the way I look at it is that when I, for example, in Clicktail, you know, when I joined, we were five six people already. I was very much. I felt like uh, you know this was my company after a while. Right. So I, I did feel that, you know, this is my company. It was still small at the time. I was open to all, all the information, et cetera. Um, so the beginning part, what I didn't do before is the, you know, zero to post-funding uh, stage. Um, so, the, so there's a huge difference. So in that stage, there's a lot of things that, you know, you don't sell yet. You don't, you're not sure about your product. Um, so the, your product, your market uh, product fit. You didn't raise money yet, et cetera. There's a lot more worries. I always had, it's good to be, if you're under a CEO who's worried about the investors and the money coming in and the finance the other day, it really clears your head to really do the business stuff. Here, now I have to do all the, all the operational work, the funding, the, this, this, it's a lot more responsibility, a lot more headache, I think. I was worried enough on all the companies, but I think it's the, the responsibility part is really feel it, you feel it way more. Um, the, the other parts of things moving around all the time and, you know, dynamics of things changing all the time as a founder, you have to take a lot of decisions that also happened in, you know, later stages also. But I think the big difference is the, the fact that you're, you're still at a, a much an earlier stage, a much more unknown area, and you need to take a lot more responsibilities that are kind of worrying you at night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Keep you up. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is something that, that as now as a founder, it makes you look back at your time as a sales leader, like, wow, I should have known that. I should have kept that in mind. Mm-hmm. I think there's an example of things that I... Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a thing about there's a thing about being. Um, remember, I had a talk at some point where inflicted with the founders. At some point, you when you hire a team and you're you're not one of the founders. There's there's the company side and there's the employee side, and you need to make sure that you if you're on the, if you have a seat at the table, basically if you're top management, that you need to to be in the company side. Um, and not as and, and as a head of sales and if you're especially if you're earning commissions and stuff that, that um, you can take the you know you can take the employee side of why we're not doing this so it's it's I think a lot of maybe some few things like I needed to you know look at the things from the founder's eyes and you know, before I come up with a certain request or a certain complaint or whatever um, other things I th- I don't think there's anything. Well, nothing comes to mind I can think about that. Uh, that now I look and I say, "Wow, I should have known this or that." Uh, yeah. Not yet. Maybe later on. Eh? <laughs> I'm sure. Right after we hit hit the stop button, uh, something yeah. will pop up. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know we're running 
running low on time. So I want to keep, uh, keep to the time schedule. But another qu- last question is you don't have any salespeople at the company now and you're doing that yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the sales, the, sorry, a lot of the founders that I speak to, they say, well, I just want to hire sales, like uh, let them deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Why have you not done this? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> there's a few reasons. First reason is I have to do it because I have to understand the sales process now. I have to understand the objections. I have to understand still the product need and still in the stage of where I'm getting the, I'm also the product manager in a way, helping with the product, whoever's doing the products. I'm also kind of very, very close to building the product. So I have to be, even if I had a person in, I would have been with them a long time. That's the one thing. Um, of course, cost. Oh, if a founder has a seed investment of, uh, you know, $4 million and they want to scale quickly, there's no point in selling yourself and they need to. Uh, so cost and time, I still have time to do it. And, and I don't want to, you know, increase the burn rate yet. Uh, and the last thing I think I don't, I, I was telling that one of the people here, um, I, I don't think that I'm, I don't feel is it's, is it's selling. I don't, I don't suffer from it. When I came to, when I come to a company, my, to a potential client, my state of mind needs to be, I can help that person. I need to evaluate if I can really help him. Of course, there's some things, you know, the commercials and stuff that you're in two different sides. But at the end of the day, I I don't look at it as uh, as selling as, as, you know, value adding. And if, uh, if, I can, we're, if I can help the person, I don't feel uncomfortable. I don't feel I'm... That I'm doing something that's unethical or that. I feel that I, I can do, uh, you know, I can do good. Yes. <laughs> if it works right if it works well and so it's not such a burden uh but also it's i think it's it's super important for the for the founder to be very in touch with what the clients want at that stage if they're if they're not able to sell well well it's going to be difficult for them to, to raise money and do because raising money is also selling yeah <laughs> it's actually more selling even than a lot more <laughs> money the bigger the, the deal is much bigger than a regular yearly deal uh, so I recommend starting yeah, hands-on with sales also for the founders or to somebody with a founding team. Yeah. Okay, great. So Sharon, thanks for joining with us today and really appreciate time. I learned a lot. Uh, is there a way for people to reach out to you? Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm LinkedIn. My, uh, can, we can you know, publish my uh, work email. We can, people can send me email or, or contact me. I'll be happy to help if I can. Okay, I'll put your uh, email in the show notes then. Sure. So then people could see it. Great. Great. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. Great, Sharon. Let's finish up with the final five. Okay. What is your favorite sales or leadership book? Wow, the hard one. I didn't read a lot of full books of sales. The, the ones that I read are the regular ones, the spin selling and uh, a few other ones, but I don't remember the names. Okay. <laughs> good. So we'll, we'll put spin selling because if, if it's good enough for you to remember, it's got to be good enough of a book. It's the first one that I read when I started, uh, you know, trying to... to put everything in processes and stuff. I said, okay, maybe I need to, to read some from, stuff from there. I did learn a lot from it in the beginning. 
It's true. Yeah. It's been recommended on the show a lot of times. So uh, I know it's a good one. I read it also more at the beginning of my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Good. Do you follow or uh, do you read or follow somebody for sales and leadership advice? Um, not, not somebody online, but I do have a few, a few people that I consult with all the time. Yeah. Uh, Anybody you yeah. care to share the name? That's the thing. I don't know if they want <laughs> to share their names. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, so you you get you get local local experts to to ping ideas off of. Yeah, yeah, constantly. I also have a um, you know an advisory here that I meet you know biweekly with. So we can I okay. get some consultation. Yeah. Good. Are you available twenty four seven, or do you have strict uh, time boundaries? Twenty four seven. <laughs> I mean, if it's urgent, twenty four seven. But you know, I have my time with the kids, and we try to not work on weekends if we don't need to, and we try to make it the balance. Well, yeah, but there's a customer who needs something in the middle of the night. Yeah, you can't not you know do it. All right. What is your favorite tool used for sales? Favorite tool it used to be Salesforce, you know, because it was a long time ago. And this was the best tool out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not now actually uh, my favorite tool is Monday Monday yeah it's not Good. for sales exactly but it's I just do so much with it that I'm very yeah. happy with it yeah very easy to keep uh, everything organized and tasks and getting everybody everything done without anything slipping through yeah I just this is you know, I'm doing much more product and, and stuff now so it's instead of Jira if you look at Monday it's uh, yeah yeah Good. Last question. What one piece of advice do you have for all the founders and sales leaders out there? One piece of advice. I think the best thing is the hiring. Best advice is that you really, really have to do these processes that we talked about in the hiring. Um, for the founders, it's for anybody. Really kind of, it's really hard to get good, even for the development part. It's really, these are like, Look at it as like value points that you bring into an organization. You spend more time in bringing the right, you know, polished diamond or unpolished diamond or whatever, and they generate so much value over the years. So when we look back into Clicktail, for example, the, the key was the first 10 people. We really were lucky to get really, really superstars. They're not our superstars now. Now we see them, you know, advance. So that's the number one thing to build the right team, and they'll, they'll already generate the value over time in each of the positions. Excellent. Sharon, thank you very much. All right. Thank you.